Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 43 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. Okay, let's get into it then. Keyboards. Mm. Keyboards! I feel like I've been introduced to a whole another aspect of nerd culture that I have previously been excluded <laughs> from. Not excluded from, just not involved in at all. Yeah. Because up till this point, I have never cared at all what keyboard I used. As long as it wasn't one of those curvy, weird, stupid ergonomic ones. They look so... I just... Forgive me, because there's so many people who use them. They look so dorky to me. They just yeah. look like... They just scream like you... Yeah, I don't, know. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure some people need them, and that's fine. And I'm yeah. sorry that you need them. I wish you could just not have to have those weird curved, weird keyboards. But <laughs> in any case, Michael, tell us about your brand new purchase that you were just showing me. What is this? Yeah, so this is the uh, the Space Gray Magic Keyboard Two. It's gorgeous. It is very nice. They um these came out with the iMac Pro. So and the only way that you could get them there was a black uh, Space Gray tra- trackpad. There was a space gray magic mouse and there was a space gray keyboard. And the this was, the, I think, I believe this is the first wireless keyboard with a numpad that Apple has made. I believe so that is correct. Yes. I'm I'm very pro the numpad. I, all, all of my keyboards have had. And when I had the original wireless Apple keyboard, it didn't have a numpad and it drove me crazy. Yep. Um, what do you use it for? What, what's the big, what's the big deal? I do, when I do all of my like personal finances and stuff, I like bang oh, away sure. on the keyboard to, to do that. So that makes life much easier. So I don't really think I use it that often, but I just like having the full size keyboard. That makes sense. Honestly, I can respect that. Like I remember when I went from having a full size keyboard with numpad to no numpad, like it was a difficult transition at yeah. first because the personal financing totally makes sense. Makes a thousand percent sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally get that. The numpad yeah. thing. That makes sense. So, I mean, I've been a, a long time. Well, I say long time. It's probably been about three years that I've had a, like a mechanical keyboard. I had a Code Clear, which was, I believe, I think it's the one that was designed by Jeff Atwood. So the guy that runs coding horror. horror. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, code and that, that's always been really Is nice. Is that the type of yeah, mechanical keyboard? Mm. So... That's a really nice one. It's got the the clear, the Cherry MX clear switches on it, but it is very different. Like it is significantly thicker than than typing on this Apple keyboard. This is basically mm-hmm. completely flat. So I was talking to Adam Wathen about it the other day because he's he's very against the uh, this keyboard because he likes having his mouse nice and close to his to his keyboard, which yeah. I don't get. I mean, like my my mouse is close to my keyboard anyway. So I suppose the extra travel from the the QWERTY part of the keyboard to the mouse, but what, yes. what, what are you going to do? Yes, it is it is a distance, man. I remember yeah. the last time I used like a full keyboard. It it did. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. It feels like you're like like some sort of animal, like reaching across <laughs> the massive freaking expanse of another whole set of like half a keyboard to your right yeah. before you get to your mouse. I mean, I'm, I'm, an, I'm a whole different kind of animal anyway because I use a trackball. So That's a lot true. of the time my mouse is directly beneath my keyboard. It's not to the side. Because then I, oh, really? I, most of my movement is just done with the thumb. So mm-hmm. that that may be why it's a little bit different for me. But um, that makes sense. I mean, I've done no, that makes sense. I haven't done a lot of typing on it. I wrote a, a blog post on it last night just to get a good feel for it. It's it's nice. I like it. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking at these code, these code keyboards. 
Yeah, they get pricey, man, don't they? Yeah, they're very expensive, bucks. these keyboards. Whew, boy. Yeah, it looks like they have uh, 88 key ones now, so it's more like a 70%, 75% keyboard, something like that. So yeah, I've been kind of diving in into this whole mechanical keyboard thing. So Yeah, tell us about your keyboard that, that you bought. Okay, okay. So, uh, all right. So you want to share with the people what my big hang-up was? You remember what it is? I love it. The, the fact that you have no arrow keys on this keyboard and you didn't realize well, okay. after you bought it. That is correct. I had no arrow keys and it has been a massive nightmare. Uh, my other hang up with like why I never got a mechanical keyboard and like I had been asking you guys, I was like, what is, you know, I hate the wires and I know that sounds like such a trivial thing and it is, it is a trivial thing. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a diva. I guess when it comes to wires, I don't want any freaking wires, like just no wires. How, how difficult can it be to make a Bluetooth keyboard? That's, you know, mechanical. Can't be that hard. They exist. And I found one. It's called the Ann pro a N N E pro. It is 60% keyboard, which I have since learned usually means, in fact, almost always means there are no arrow keys. There is no dedicated arrow cluster on the keyboard. Hmm. Now, I have also since learned that they have 65% keyboards, none of which I've really found wireless options for mm-hmm. that do have dedicated arrow cluster. Right. Uh, and if I had to do it again, I might have done that. However, this keyboard is wireless. It also has full RGB backlights, which <laughs> is pretty cool. And it was like 80 bucks. So it was like yeah, a really good entry point for me because yeah. I don't, I mean, I was like, I just want to try one out and kind of see what I think about it and see how I feel about it. So it has been a journey because I have tried everything. So like I tried remapping the keys, you know, because it comes with the ability to basically do a full remap of all the keys and everything. Mm-hmm. The only trick I had was like, there's some things that are not overridable. So like if you pressed both alt buttons at the same time, no matter what you had remapped them to, it would go into function lock. Right. So everything would map to the second layer. If you pressed alt and the like command or the windows key mm-hmm. it would go into windows lock right so these are just things that were hard coded like you couldn't override these even if you did a map separate from what they were so ended up having to i tried a couple things like carabiner elements where you could swap out stuff but it never worked really well yeah um, and those limitations were still in place and so what i ended up having to do was find a firmware that somebody else had written for this keyboard in rust Right. And I had to flash it to my board, which was a little bit scary, but I was like, screw it. I'm not using it right now anyway, because yeah. I don't get the stuff that I want. So I did it. I flashed it and I was like, okay, had built my confidence. And then I had to do a custom build of that firmware so that I could swap keys. <laughs> and so now I've got it. I've done it. I have, I had to download Rust. <laughs> I had to download like this ARM compatible binary compiler to build out the firmware and every, anything. It was, a, it was a mess and I compiled it and I pushed it onto my board and it works. I'm, I'm just <laughs> so happy. I can't even tell you, like I woke up like three or four times last night just thinking about, I couldn't wait to get up this morning and flash that firmware to see if it was going to work because <laughs> I, I didn't want to do it last night and I did it and it works. And so I'm really nice. excited to actually use it for a work day at work yeah. and see how it goes because I've used, I've been having like the two keyboards kind of like stacked, like one in front mm. of the other and I'll like, after a while, I'll like, I'll try the mechanical keyboard for like 20 minutes or 15, 20 minutes. And then I'm like, nope, I actually need to be efficient today and I'll swap them back and I'll start yeah. using my, my Apple board. So anyway, it's, it's been an interesting experiment. It's been fun. Uh, I've found, I've spent way too much time looking at like keycaps 
and different types <laughs> of keyboards online. Yeah. So I told I told my wife tonight, I was like, I've got to stop this thing. Yeah. David Hemphill told me before I started, this was like a black hole and it he's is. been right. I've just, you can never get to the end of it. There's so much yeah. to I've been, this. I've been very lucky to avoid all of that. There was four of us at my last job. We all bought the code clear because there was a, a mass drop for them. Yeah. And so, yeah, we all got on that. We all bought them. And then they spent ages like putting O-rings on there and changing keycaps and things like that. And I'm like, well, this is all an extreme. Like I just wanted a mechanical keyboard, but yeah. the, the mechanical is no good if you're going to be recording screencasts, which I've started doing a little bit of now. So it's something something that's quieter is is what I went for with this one. So yeah. very, very yeah, expensive yeah. though. Like they're too expensive for, for, like I understand with the mechanical keyboard that they cost like $150 because there's so much to them. But this, yeah, right. this is super light. It's super thin, super small. There's There's not a whole lot to it, but I guess it's, like anything Apple puts out, it's a first generation, pay the premium to be an early adopter kind of thing. But it it's is nice. milled aluminum though, so aluminium. Well, what do you guys call it? Aluminium or is it aluminum? We say aluminium, but aluminium. I, I like to argue with people because it was aluminum. The, the The English guy that invented it, he's, he's a bit of trivia. The English guy, not that invented it, the English guy that discovered it originally called it aluminum and then it was changed to aluminium and then it was changed back to aluminum. And then I think what ended up happening was the Americans stuck with aluminum and everyone else basically went with aluminium. That's funny. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's, it still is very odd for me to say it, aluminium, but it sounds like you've got it pretty darn pat to be able to say between the two of them. Yeah. So you can say it with an Australian accent and then you can say it with a normal, like a normal accent. <laughs> normal, normal accent. Yeah, that's because you're from <laughs> Apparently normal. normally. That's, that's all it is, yeah. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. I didn't mean to be like condescending talking about like every other accent not being normal. Yeah. Like, <laughs> oh, you jerk Americans, you. Oh, anyway. So anyway, that's been the keyboard story here for Michael and myself. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So I've actually got, I, I've got the old... I've got the old wireless Bluetooth keyboard from Apple, the one with has like the rounded, like it takes the AA batteries and it's yep. got like the rounded back portion on it. Yep. I've got a new one, which is like the thin, kind of like what the one is, the new one that you have, but yep. it's not the you know full size one, just yep. the magic keyboard. Mm-hmm. And then I've got this mechanical one now. All wireless, they're all beautiful, I love them all, but uh, yeah. It's weird, I've just got this collection of keyboards now, like I've got two of the corded, full-size full Apple keyboards and I've got one of the old little like the the Bluetooth ones and I've got two of these code clears because I've got one at home and I've got one at work it's a it's a problem I think what I think what happened originally for me actually was I had the full-size one uh-huh. I got I, I got the I got the full-size one and I was like yep this is what I'm doing this is happening. Like I, I, I had to have the number pad. That's what it was. And I didn't mind because my monitor was like on my desk. Yeah. And then what ended up happening was I got a really nice arm mount for mm-hmm. my monitor. And I couldn't take it. The wires. I couldn't do it. And so I ended up getting a wireless one to try. And I remember it being a pain of a transition, but I made it work. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, now I'm totally on the wireless bandwagon and can't take it with anything else. Now, if I had a monitor that was like on my desk again, I could probably go back to wires, but yeah. I just can't because it's like this really nice blank space underneath my monitor. And mm-hmm. then there's just like nasty rat's nest of wires traveling up yeah. nothing, like just yeah. open air to my monitor. It doesn't look good. Anyway, okay, enough about the keyboards. <laughs> oh, what you been working on, man? That's technical. 
Um, so we've talked about it previously that I've at various stages of working through getting Laravel's database migrations to work between applications. Yes. And I I have finally perfected it. I have finally nice. shipped an application to production that uses this stuff. So we hit like roadblock after roadblock after edge case after like weird behavior. We ended up like accidentally only in our test environment mind you but we ended up running like migrations from multiple connections all on the same table by accident and then okay or sorry all on the same database and then we realized that even if you have multiple database connections and your schema specifies the connection when it creates or updates the tables Uh all of the migrations are still tracked in your default connections migrations table right Um, right which and then there's there's no way to roll them back that way. It's uh, so like we had we ran into okay. issues with that as well. So there's there is like literally no way to roll them back ever. Like you can't do a rollback. Well, because you can't roll back the connection. Uh, the you can't do a rollback on a specific connections migrations. So if you say you wanted to do a rollback of the last batch, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. But you only want to roll back one connection. You can't like you can't specify the connection and say just roll back the migrations from that because within, uh, I see. within the migrations yeah, table yeah. it doesn't track the connection it just tracks like Correct. a list of the migrations so yes that wasn't apparent until we actually started working with it and then we hit some edge cases with our legacy database because it's got some enum fields in it and because doctrine the philosophy of doctrine which is what what is used to do the migrations behind the scenes in Laravel doesn't support state in the database which is effectively what an enum is you've got like different values that sure that the column could be yeah yeah. we then you can't you can't change or you can't rename columns or anything as soon as there's an enum in there because laravel or the doctrine dbal library will try and read the migrate uh, read the table columns. In, yeah the columns sure. and it hits the enum and it doesn't know what to do with it so it just stops work freaks out yeah so it just throws an exception. So we then hit that. And so that SQLite doesn't support enum columns at all. Okay. So you can't do tests then. So yeah. you can't do tests in an in-memory database. So then we had to like figure out how to how to run MySQL in in tests and you know, separate databases for that. And then of course we had the issue of setting that up in our Bitbucket pipeline so that, you know, it was spinning up MySQL. Oh sure. That, yeah. But the the good bit about all of this and all of the edge cases is that we now actually have parity between our test environment and our production environment in terms of PHP version and MySQL. So, or we're actually using MariaDB. So, yeah, we we got there in the end. We've we put a application into production on Thursday that that leverages these migrations and then our shared package of models and. And we can run the migrations from a standalone application as well per connection. So it's probably taken two or three months. I was talking to uh, Chris Gamir about it earlier. And um, yeah, it's. I don't know exactly how much work it's been because it's sort of been sprinkled over a couple of months as we've been doing other things. Uh, yeah. you know, I haven't like spent a week on it just consistently working on it or anything like that. So... I think the most difficult part was getting the migrations themselves to work outside of Laravel. And then after that, it was just like tackling edge cases and and fixing those bits and pieces up as we went along. But 
we're in a good spot now where we can actually share those models between applications and we can run tests against, you know, we can actually spin up the database um, schema and, and run model factories and things like that without having to run against a copy of an actual, you know, production database anywhere. So yeah, that's really handy. So explain the context to me one more time here. So you have multiple applications mm-hmm. that all have access to the same shared database yeah or okay yeah so all those applications need to be able to access those same models whatever but it's not and and like the migrations possibly because otherwise what you end up having is like you end up saying for one of the applications hey create a new migration Mm -hmm. and then it doesn't get pushed to the other yeah. applications that are using these yeah and so now you don't have parity between your app your your migrations and so that it all gets out of whack yeah okay so all of these applications how many are there uh at the moment we've got three we've got a fourth one coming okay so three applications that all have access to the same shared database mm-hmm. so they share the migrations and the models yeah okay and you said, I think in your post, you were saying that you tried to limit the models to be just the relationships that there were yeah. on those on those models and then the applications themselves can kind of extend those models with their own behavior yep yeah so the interesting okay. basically we've we've got a package that has all of our application models for all of our databases but we keep them generic so everything is namespace basically to the connection that the models belong to well now tell me what you mean by connection tell me what you mean by that so um so we've got three databases we've got our main customer database we've got a gis database which is a geospatial information systems database okay um we've got a coverage database which which allows us to essentially say for a given building this is the coverage we can provide to that building Um, and there's actually a fourth one which is a a national addressing database so we've got there's a a data set released by the australian government that's curated by curated by a third party which is essentially for this identifier, this is the canonical address. So we can say... So when you load up your your package or whatever, uh-huh. uh, each application has to have those database connections defined in the database.php. Yeah. Is that also part of your package? No. So the, the package itself doesn't specify the connect. There's documentation that says like, if okay. you've got a Laravel app, you need to like spin up this database configuration. So okay. where the default Laravel app has got like, a connection is SQLite, and then you've got MySQL, right. and PGSQL, then Redis. Yep, yep. Well, we've got one that's called, you know, customer, one that's called coverage, one that's called GIS, and one that's called GNAF. They're yep. all MySQL, so they're all using the same driver, but therefore, you know, distinct databases. Do you ever have to do joins across those databases, across those connections? Never. Okay. So we would select the data from one, and then we would use, like, we would get the the building footprint ID or the GNAF ID and use that to like find. So in, in a customer record, for example, or a service record, we've got a GNAF ID, which says this service is at this address. And if we want to find the address itself, we get the ID and then we go and look in the GNAF database to get that information. Sure. Because you don't have like parity between those databases. There's no like ID reference between the two of them or anything like that. Well, there's the, the GNAF ID itself, but we don't, we don't join between the two databases. Right. Okay. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Because we've got a sort of, I don't know if you could say it's a similar setup. What we've got is, 
we have a single application that we'll call an umbrella application. And we've mm-hmm. been talking about this since like last year. Yeah. And it is a single application, single Laravel application that has essentially multiple modules inside of it, right? So multiple applications that live inside a single Laravel install. And what this allows us to do is it allows us to very quickly spin up. We've appropriately named it micro. Mm-hmm. It's our micro repo. So it's like all these little like incidental applications that you end up having to create or that are just, you know, a lot of times asked for yeah and now we have a spot for them to live because otherwise what you have to do you have to make a new repo then you have to set up the travis ci then you have to set up the style ci then you have to set up your slack integration then you have to set up your error tracking and then you have to do the, you know what i mean like you just it's all that yeah. stuff every single time yeah and i was like this is ridiculous like we have these tiny little things that need to be created why don't we just make one big app that we can like update from laravel 5.4 to 5.5 or 5.5 to 5.6 once and have mm-hmm. like these five or six or 10 applications all get updated. So essentially, you know, Laravel is super flexible and it allows you to do any sort of directory structure you want. So we kind of have these sub modules that all have their own resources and tests and everything, but they also have their own connection. So we have one master or one main table called micro in the database, whatever. It might as well be a separate connection though. It it could be, it's specified Mm -hmm. as a separate connection in database.php. And that holds all of our users and it holds all of our migrations Mm -hmm. and a couple other things like team member users or user team members or something like that, which is all the people who manage other people. And then each one of the sub applications, the little modules have their own table that they, that they have. So all of their migrations specify the connection that they're going to run on, you know, as well as the models will specify, look at this connection mm-hmm. uh, when you're going to blow stuff. So one thing that I learned that was really crazy interesting that Tom Schlick actually pointed out is I was like, there's no way certainly that you can join across these connections, right? And he's like, no, you can. Yeah. And sure enough, you freaking can. Yeah. It's unbelievable. So I could just say like, hey, this users table uses this connection over here. But I want to join that to this coaching entry that's over here. I want mm-hmm. you to be able to say like, hey, user one, go grab all my coaching entries and it'll just join them across that connection. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck? I was, oh my word. When I figured that I was like, you gotta be kidding me. That makes it so easy. Yeah. It and so magic. now it's nice because we don't have to like prefix any of our table names with anything. Like, uh, they just have their own separate tables. So if I'm going to be migrating for like one of the apps, I can just dump that one database and mm-hmm. don't have to worry about the rest of them. Cause the rest of them are going to be totally fine. Yeah. But it's incredible. It's been pretty cool and it's been really neat to see all the flexibility that you're afforded with your migrations, with your modules, or not your modules, your migrations, your models, your relationships, all mm-hmm. of that stuff. It's just amazing. All the work that goes on behind the scene yeah. to allow you to do that. Yeah. The other the other thing that I think we're probably going to run into later is because we're managing our migrations independently of our application, we're going to probably have some issue where if we're making a database change, figuring out whether we have to do the, you know, do we run the migration first and then deploy the code or do we have to do the code and then the migration? But most of our our releases now, we kind of limit to quiet hours or time when there aren't, you know, people in the office out of normal business hours just just in case anything happens. So sure. It's interesting. The, um, the other the other thing, the other last thing that I'll say about this is that when you are running your database migrations in your unit tests, Laravel's refresh database trait will only drop tables on the default connection. So whilst it will run them all up, 
when it runs your migrations, it will run all of the migrations for all yeah. of the configured connections. When you run after the test finishes, it will only drop the tables on the primary connection. It, so when so when it goes to run the second test and it tries to you know run the migrations again, it will say, "Oh, all of your tables already exist," and it'll blow up. Hey, so. so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting because I think I had that same problem with this. But well, it's like with your migrations in your migrations themselves, are you specifying the connection that they need to use? Yes. Right in both the up and the down. Uh, well, we don't have any down methods, but so, but keeping in mind that the refresh database trait just drops. just drops all the tables. So it's not running the yeah. down methods, right? But it only does this for the tables on the default connection. Interesting, that makes sense. So what we did to kind of get around this a little bit is we have a trait on all of our migrations. Mm -hmm. So we don't have any enums or anything like that. We were very, and maybe we'll run into this problem in the future, I doubt it. But we were very careful that the structures that we were creating were also SQLite friendly because we yeah. wanted to be able to run all our all our you know tests in SQLite. Yeah. So we made sure we didn't use anything crazy, and then we have on our migrations instead of just spec hard specifying a connection value there. Yeah. We'd say like get this connection, you know, and mm -hmm. whatever. And what it does is it checks to see what the environment is, and if the environment is testing, it runs. It what it does is it prefixes all of our table names with the module that they are a part of mm -hmm. and then underscore and then their table name so that there's yep. no collisions. Yeah. And then it runs them all on the default connection. On the same and one, the yeah. same thing happens with all of the models. So the models have a trait that say, hey, go get this table name. Like it's, it's not hard coded. It just says like, we're not sure what it is. Just go ask for it. Yeah. And then again, it checks to see what value the environment is. And then we'll, we'll mirror that. So if it is in testing, it will do module underscore table name and mm -hmm. so all our tests work correctly and all of the yep. refresh and all that it drops them all off the default connection because everything's running on the default connection mm -hmm. so it took us a while to arrive at that but it's worked really well so far actually yeah there was a solution this has come up recently in the the laravel ideas and i think even the framework repositories people have been talking about this specific case and there was so yeah keith damiani pointed me in the direction to a to a solution that essentially lets you override Laravel's refresh database trait where it drops all of the tables and um, and then specify essentially the connections that it should drop. And so it will loop through each of the connections and drop all the tables on each of the connections. So I did write a blog post about this, which I'll uh, link up in the show notes for anyone that's interested in learning more. Good idea, good idea, okay. Let's see. What else we got here? I knew we were going to talk about migrations because you just wrote a blog post up on this as well. Mm. So we'll have to check that out, link that up in the show notes. Uh, we talked about our keyboards. <sighs> what was something else I wanted to talk about here? Facebook. I could talk about, so like I, we've talked about how I was going to do that dashboard thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Remember? That or like all the, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my word. <laughs> I thought I was done. I thought I was good to go because I got it linked up to Facebook, which, oh, my word. Okay. So like it's this Facebook video which is going to be getting viewed through an advertisement. So it is going to be a Facebook ad. So you can use their analytics, like their marketing API, mm -hmm. Facebook's marketing API to get insights about these, like how your ad is performing. Right. Real time, real time. Yeah, in quotes. Quotes, air <laughs> quotes, air quotes, which real time apparently means only on certain things if they feel like giving them to you and 
not real time, like every two minutes, maybe every 15 minutes, way more likely, and definitely not able to be broken down by region or <laughs> like it's so yeah. like there's just no consistency. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. documentation for getting it to work in the first place was horrid, horrid. I mean, like I was just about ready to be like, yep, I'm done. With, I, I can't do this. Like it was just so bad. It was so bad. And so anyway, I finally got it working last week. I was like, yes, this is awesome. And then just this Friday did I realize that real time did not actually mean real time. When I started looking at the timestamps, right. like, these are not like, and this is not updating. So now I have to do this whole like fake because like, okay, how real time does a, does a dashboard look that only updates every two minutes? Yeah. Who's going to actually sit there and look at that? Nobody is yeah. here. Nobody's going to sit there and look at that. So what I have to do is I have to like pull it every two minutes and then spread those updates over two minutes. And then the trickier part of it is, is it's not actual video views that they give you every two minutes. It's impressions. Mm. That's how many times it goes like up on their screens. So what I did is I've been running a test for the last two and a half, three weeks. Mm-hmm in the target country that we're going to be sending this advertisement to. And so what I'm doing is I'm comparing the impressions to the actual 10 second watches on the video and doing like a percentage. So I found that you got like about 5% of the impressions actually converted to a 10 second video watch. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to update the impressions every two minutes. I'll take 5% of that value. So it's a round estimate mm-hmm. and use that as the number of people who have you know have watched it in that last yeah. two minutes then what i have to do is i have to fire off updates 20 updates per minute because i have to i want it to be i i like just eyeing it uh, updates every three seconds looks pretty close to real time you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. that's very reasonable every three seconds so i'm going to send out 20 updates every minute so that means i'll have to i'll have to split up each update into 40 you know each actual update i get from facebook into 40 different updates that will get pushed mm. to their dashboard. Mm. Then the trick is with impressions, you can get it down to regions, right? So my map that I have isn't actually like a real map where I can say, give me the lat long and like plot it to that location. Doesn't yeah. work that way. Mine is just like an SVG of like pixel dots yeah. that I've created that looks good. Mm-hmm. But what I have to do now is I have to go in and I have to like select the regions in my svg group them in sketch and then export it as an svg with named regions <laughs> in there and then i have to fill in a dot per visit per region but split it up over it's it's just a nightmare it's a uh. nightmare and so yeah i'm going to be working on that probably every night all week this week and uh when is the event because you've been working on this for like a month or two now yeah, right. But again, like I was like, I've been working on it and it's been like, okay, like it's good to go. Like I'm feeling really good about this. Yeah. It's, uh, I have, I have like two and a half, two weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Two weeks. Almost exactly. Yeah. So, so all of, all of your plans and that, and it's come back to like your original idea where you, where you're going to correct. basically have to fudge the stats. Correct. And <laughs> you know, the nice thing is at the end of the day, like this is a, um, uh, like if this was a meal, this is like a palate cleanser. I mean, like this is nothing compared to the event. I mean, it's a small piece of the event. Yeah. But it's a big event. And for our company, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I can't screw it up. And I yeah. can't just like, well, I'm sure it'll be fine. Like I have to actually make it work Yeah. right and work good. So, 
So this yeah, is your full-time gig or this is your not-for-profit? No, no, no. This is the not-profit. Yeah, this is the non-profit gig. Yeah. So it's a big deal for them. And uh, yeah, so I just, I'm just not... I've come up with a hundred different ideas for how I'm gonna, the region thing is really screwing me up. Everything else I've got pretty much nailed down. Like I'm confident with the rest of it. The pushing 20 updates a minute, that's honestly, that's not going to be a problem. Like that'll yeah. be totally fine. I've got all of the pusher stuff and the broadcasting stuff and echo all working. It's all working mm-hmm. fine. The trick is going to be the map. That's yeah. what I'm worried about. Yeah. And it's going to be a pain in the butt, man. I'm sure you'll, you'll not it out. In the butt. Oh man. Like most of the time you just say like, oh, here's a visit here. Plot this lat long location yeah. on the map and call it good. And nobody cares. Yeah. Or or like hit something that's going to generate a heat map for you. But mm. it like, it's like, I don't know. I don't You're know just going to have to like that. figure out where the lat, but you don't get the lat long at all, do you? Nothing. You get a region. That's what you get, a region. Okay. Mm. Mm. Well, yeah, I suppose if your dots match the regions that they give you, it's just a matter of lighting up a dot in that region, right? Right, right. Yeah. But like, so so think about this. Like I've been spending, like I've been doing this, I've been running this ad for like, you know, three weeks or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we've had like, I mean, just in one day, we had like 4,000, 5,000 impressions, right? And I've spent in total like $5 on this advertisement. Yeah, They're going to be spending like tens of thousands of dollars on this event night to push this. It's going to be going ape crap. This thing's mm. going to be going crazy. So my feeling is like if I'm putting, if I'm lighting up one dot per visit, I have 1,200 dots on the map total. Yeah. Total. So that thing's going to be like bright red the whole time. There won't <laughs> even be any distinction. Like that would be ridiculous. Yeah. Like that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. You know? Because if you get 1,200 visits total, which we will. Yeah. Absolutely. it's just it's like going to become indistinguishable so that doesn't even matter so it's like so now i have to come up with almost like some weird algorithm to say like grab the total number of visits we've had so far look at all the regions and figure out what percentage of the visits have come from this region and then light up that region accordingly which you know what i mean it's just like all the math and the ridiculousness of it is just like it's so complex good thing you started to be a high school math teacher yeah, the really hard part of it is like, I can't even see what it's going to look like until I get all those numbers. Mm. Like, I can't even visualize it. Like, I can't even, you know, I don't even know what it's going to look like until until I have some data to actually test on it or something. Could so, you could you like fake it? Could you just send data into your app? Like send, I don't know, 2,000 requests from a random regions on your map and just see what it looks like? Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, what I almost want to do, man, is I really almost want to like pre-record a freaking heat map and be like, nobody, nobody's going to care. Nobody. <laughs> it's like a decoration. Honestly, it is. It's like a decoration. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like it, um, it needs to somewhat coordinate with like the truth of what's happening. Because mm-hmm. like if it tanks, if it tanks and like somehow like the stats are coming in and it shows like there's zero people watching this, it would look really ridiculous to have a map that has like a bunch of stuff on it. There's Mm. nothing happening. Mm. So I don't know. I'm actually like now that I'm talking about it more though, I'm almost leaning that way because I'm not even sure that it's possible for me to, to do that. I I think I might just have to like fudge it and just be like, you know, this is a really pretty decoration (laughs) and this is what it might look like maybe depending on like the populations in these regions. But this is not actually what it looks like. Yeah. And at the end of the day, nobody cares. Yeah. 
I think that's that's probably key. If if nobody really cares, then I probably wouldn't get too hung up about it. Like just do enough to get it there yeah. so that there's something yeah. there that looks, you know, reasonable. Like don't don't make it look like it doesn't matter, but Yeah. Yeah. I think that's that's probably the thing. Especially like it's out of your control a lot of it. It's out of your hands yeah. what data you're getting and how often you're getting it and how useful Correct. that data is. So Correct, yeah. I mean, when you started you thought you had you'd have all the information and as you've gotten into it it just hasn't been the case so right you're making me feel a lot better about this thank you michael <laughs> that's all right that's what this podcast is, exists for literally it's just like our our gripe session about yeah. our our development lives <laughs> and people get to listen in hey i wanted to talk real quickly about thoughts yeah do you want to tell tell the I, people I was about that? just thinking about the same thing yeah yeah so daniel colborne a couple of weeks ago on Telegram, just started up this channel that that you can subscribe to, and we'll, we'll link it up into the show notes. So if you're on Telegram, you can subscribe. If you're not on Telegram, we've got a a website set up at CodeThoughts.chat, which essentially pulls in all these videos. And what it is is just little sixty second video recordings of myself, of yourself of Daniel Colborn and of Caleb Porzio from 20% Time. They both work at Titan, upstanding young gentlemen. And uh, TJ Miller's in there as well. Matt Stauffer and David Hemphill pop in every now and then. And Jeff Ocha. And Jeff Ocha, yeah. And we just like we just film these little 60-second videos and they're just thoughts about code, about the things that we're working on, ideas that we've had. And we all just have like little conversations it's been a lot of fun just just to get perspective from people. It's a bit tricky for me, obviously, because of the time difference. I wake up yeah. and there's like 30 videos and then I like Correct. try yeah. and respond to all 30 of them in like four short bursts. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it is a lot of fun. It's cool to get perspective from other developers. And, and we have some pretty cool conversations about different topics. We've talked about, you know, legacy code. We've talked about I had one recently around handling JSON errors. Uh, we talked mm-hmm. about routes and and nested yep. routes and things like that. So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it has been. It was funny. I think I'm trying to remember how it all started. Oh, I remember. You were in our 20%, or you were in our North Meets, South Meets 20% Telegram channel. Mm-hmm. And you were harassing me and saying, hey, Caleb, where is that like model stories package that you guys developed jake's trying to like not have foreign keys listed (laughs) in his migrations he's crazy whatever and so they were like do you really not use foreign key constraints whatever and Mm so i was on the road and i've used this a couple times but it's just the audio thing on telegram where you can just press and hold down and i was just i just recorded it and said yes i really don't do this etc etc and i'm just talking into it and then one of them responded with a audio thing and then they switched to Daniel Coburn realized you could do video. Yeah. And so he came back with a video and then we started doing a couple of videos back and forth and we said, we need to create a channel for this. And so two seconds later he yeah. created thoughts and it's just been a really fun kind of thing ever since my, I, I think it would be a cool, uh, the one thing that David Hemphill said about it, which I think is really interesting is it's like an async podcast mm-hmm. almost like it's just, as you get time, you just kind of respond or throw something in there. So what I'd like to do eventually, if it as ends up having any traction, is kind of like throw all those videos together. Like at the end of each week, like just create an episode. Yeah. Link all the videos together. Like just put them all into one video and like post it on YouTube. 
and then take the audio and just post it as a podcast episode. You know what I'm saying? Just on something so that it would make it easier for people who don't have Telegram or whatever to be able to keep up and consume those pieces of information. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Do you think, I mean... It'd be interesting to see if we can get it to work and it'd be interesting to see if we can get it to work in an automated-ish way so that like you don't want to sit there and like put a whole heap of time into it. But if you can say like grab me all of the videos between midnight on Monday and 11.59 p.m. on Sunday and just join them all together and then then release them that way, I don't – it like it can get a bit disjointed. Like a topic just abruptly ends and we start talking about something else. There's no right segue That's or anything true. like that. So I don't I don't know, but I, I like the format. I think it's really cool. It's just yeah. like whenever you, yeah, literally you have a thought, you pick your phone up, you talk to your phone, and you wait for a response. It's cool. It's cool. Yeah, it is. It's a really nice experiment. I like it as an experiment yeah. a lot. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's part of the reason why people find it interesting is because it is an experiment. Like, there's nothing I've yeah, seen really like I've this before. I've never seen anything like that, which is which is yeah. interesting. So, yeah, it is. So, I think the idea uh, that Daniel and and uh, Caleb and myself, while you had while you were sleeping, had had, we were like, this is gonna like. There's a lot of people messaging to get on it. Like, there was mm-hmm. a couple different people like, hey, would you mind if I joined the channel? And um, what we said was, not we talked about like doing like, a draft like thoughts drafts, like post yeah. your thoughts or whatever, and then you can come into the main thoughts channel. But I think what we're going to do instead is we're going to have like a waiting list. And like, if you want to be in the channel, we'll do it for like a week at a time. Mm. So we'll have like the five core members, uh, which I think was like you, me, Daniel, Caleb, and then they, they added TJ into that list. Mm-hmm. And then add like five more people into that mix every week. Yeah. So each week you'd have a new five, new set of five people who would be able to come in and give their thoughts, which I think would be cool. Yeah. Or, you know, just ask questions and get perspective from, Correct. you know, people that they wouldn't otherwise maybe talk to or, or be able to, Correct. you know, get get ideas from. So I like it. I think if if it keeps going, we can like, and it, it doesn't take any time. There's no effort. Like this was the idea behind... Oh, I forget what anchor the anchor FM anchor. thing that you're using, where yep. it was like no friction to get up and running. You just Correct. record your piece, it uploads, it's done. So, yeah, this is another another cool little little experiment. But I think it's a little bit more engaging. Like the the anchor thing, you had to get the app. It was yeah. Let's right, see how we exactly. Go. Yeah, if you could get, if we could get the Telegram API, if we could build some service that would build this out for us, I think you could get a lot more people doing it actually. Mm. Like if you could create a little thing called like Telegram, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, Telegram Vlogcast or something like that. Yeah, that would just pick out your videos and just create a mm-hmm. nice succinct like vlog for you. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. All right, man. Well, we've been going for about forty-six minutes, so we should probably wrap this up. It's hitting close to midnight here, so uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's gonna be it for me. Cool. Awesome, man. All right. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Appreciate it. This is episode 43. If you like the show, you can find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash 43. We would love it if you'd give us a five-star review in iTunes. That'd be really awesome. So if you'd do that, that'd be great. If you have any feedback for us or any questions or things you'd like us to talk about in future shows, you can hit us up at Michael Dorinda, at Jake Bennett, or at North South Audio on Twitter. And I think that's all of it. Hmm. You got all of that right except for your own Twitter handle. What did I say? Jake Bennett? Yeah. (laughs) It's Jacob Bennett. Darn it all. (laughs) Jacob Bennett. (laughs) 
awesome. it's different. Like, so at, at work, like my name at work, like, uh, you know, in Active Directory and everything is Jake. Yeah. Everywhere else, my name is Jacob. Yeah. But nobody actually calls me Jacob. <laughs> nobody uses that as my name. They all call me Jake. So like people who only know me through the internet or through Twitter or whatever, like mm-hmm. if we meet for the first time, they're like, hey, Jacob, nice to meet you. And it's like, yep, this is the first time we've met. Or like we have, you know, we already don't actually know each other that yeah. well because they call me Jacob. So if you ever, if you ever like see me or like if we're meeting for the first time and you call me Jake, you'll have a leg up. You're going to be like, <laughs> Oh yeah, we're tight. We're friends. Yeah, we've known each other for yep. years. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right, man. Good awesome. talking to you, buddy. You too. All right. Take See you it next easy. Time. Bye. Bye.